All right, well, we're there in uh, Nehemiah chapter number 8, and this morning we're finishing up our series out of the book of Nehemiah uh, entitled Rise and Build. Last week we took a break from the Nehemiah series and dealt with the subject of soul winning, and uh, today we're going to go ahead and finish up the series. Next week we'll begin a brand new series um, at our Family and Friend Day, and just by, by way of introduction, if you remember over the last... Uh, 10 weeks as we've been preaching through the book of Nehemiah, and we haven't covered the entire book. We've just been pulling out principles about Nehemiah. Uh, every sermon, we've asked a question, and we've given you a question to kind of wrestle with and kind of think about. If you remember week one, we asked the question, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? What is there going on outside of you that, that burdens you? And week two, we asked the question, how can I leverage who I am to help others. Week three, we ask the question, can you see what can be? Can you get a vision for what could be in your family, in your uh, home, and in, in this nation? And week four, we ask the question, what can I do near me? Uh, week five, we ask the question, what does it take to stop you? Week six, we ask the question, what is hindering your influence? Week seven, what does it take to distract you? Week eight, what are you afraid of? Week nine, can your life be characterized as faithful. And today we find ourselves here in Nehemiah chapter number eight. And we'll be giving you one last question today to kind of wrestle with and think about. And hopefully those have kind of helped you. If you look at verse one of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter eight is a very interesting uh, chapter in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, because in many ways it gives us a pattern uh, for the New Testament church. Now, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, they were dealing with the nation of Israel, but the nation is referred to as the congregation. And the nation in the book of Acts was also called, uh, when they were wandering in the wilderness, it was called the church in the wilderness. So there's many things there that kind of apply to us. If you look at verse 1 there, the Bible says this, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man. And I'm not preaching about this this morning, but I do want to emphasize on that. It's very interesting that whenever God kind of talks about a group of people accomplishing something or doing something, he, he talks about the fact that there's unity in that group. He says, all the people gathered themselves together as one man. I want you to keep your finger there in Nehemiah and go with me to the book of Philippians. In the New Testament, Philippians, if you start at Matthew, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. All right. So if you find those Ian's books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philippians chapter number 1. And when you get to Philippians, do me a favor, stick your bulletin there or a ribbon or a bookmark or something because we're going to leave Philippians, but we're going to come back to it. Philippians chapter number 1. And if you remember, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1 says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man. Philippians 1.27 says this, The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, wrote these words. He says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. And I want you to notice what he says to this church. He says, this is how a church ought to be uh, described. This is how a church ought to be uh, characterized. He says that you stand fast, notice, in one spirit, with one mind. I want you to notice these words, striving together. The word strive means to, uh, to be working uh, together. Uh, the idea is, if, if you think of like, you know, those, those rowers, you'll have those people compete, well, they'll be rowing together. That's kind of what he's saying. He said, I want you working together. He said, I want you rowing together in the same direction. He says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And you know, as a church, if we're going to make an impact on this community, we've got to have this idea of standing fast in one 
one spirit and one mind, striving together, the entire congregation, as one man. In the book of Acts, you've got the, the, the great book there of the Acts of the Apostles and the Acts of the church there. And one theme that you'll find throughout the book of Acts, when it talks about this church that was alive, this church that was doing something, that was experiencing revival, you'll notice that it's characterized and is described in this way. They were in one accord. And you've got to understand, as a church, we've got to be striving together. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 8. But you know, we've got to get away from this idea. And we've got to fight. We've got to actively fight against divisions within the church. Because as the church grows, you know, next week we'll be uh, celebrating the church's fifth anniversary. And when we started this church, my wife and I started five years ago in our living room. It was easy to have unity when there were six of us there. You know what I mean? It wasn't that hard to get along with six people. But as the church grows and as you reach more people, as you bring more people in, you start finding people that maybe have different personalities, have different, you know, uh, are quirky and have different sense of humor and are just a little odd, you know, and it becomes more and more difficult to get along. But, you know, as a church, we've got to have this idea that we need to have unity. We've got to gather together. We've got to strive together for the faith of the gospel. And that's the key when we all have the same goal to reach our community with the gospel of Christ. See, the reason churches start developing these cliques and developing these issues and having these, you know, uh, sections within the church fighting against each other and bickering against each other is because they're not working. They're not active. They're not doing anything. And usually, even in our church, you'll find the people that are most problematic are the people that are doing nothing. But when you're striving together, you learn to have unity. And that's what Nehemiah says here. I love how it says it in verse 1. All the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe. Now notice what they asked. They said, to bring the book, to bring the book of the law. Now it's a reference to the scriptures, to the Bible of Moses, and the, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Notice verse 2. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein. Notice, you say, why, why is it that at Verity Baptist Church, you know, you guys take the time to read an entire chapter of the Bible? Because if there's anywhere you're going to read the Bible, it ought to be in the congregation with God's people. And, you know, I'm, I'm amazed at these liberal churches that not only do they not read the Bible there, they actually, you know, they actually promote themselves. I mean, I, I've literally heard liberal pastors, you know, kind of brag about the fact that at our church, we don't really, you know, give you a lot of Bible and we don't bring you down with a lot of Bible. That's ridiculous. I mean, the Bible says that we're supposed to gather. The only reason we're gathering together is because of the Word of God. And here, the Bible says, verse 3, He read therein before the street that was before the water gate. Now, notice how long he read, because some of you complain. You read an entire chapter of the Bible, and when 17 verses, not that big of a deal. But we've read 75 verses, right? I mean, we've read chapters that are long. But notice how long they read. It says, before the street, before the water gate, verse 3, from morning until midday, from breakfast to lunch. They read the Bible before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive. They were listening. They weren't on their phones. They weren't on, you know, Facebook. They weren't distracted. They were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. You say, why, why do you have a pulpit of wood? Because Ezra had a pulpit of wood, and if it's good enough for Ezra, it's good enough for us, you know? He stood, uh, uh, you say, are you ever going to get rid of uh, a pulpit? You know, you're going to go down the liberal way. 
you know, grab a little stool. I'm pretty sure stools are for bars. You know, I, I, we, I, we don't need a stool. He said, Pastor, you got to get rid of the pulpit and put a little stool down. You got to get rid of that tie and get a little turtleneck. And you can sit there and just share with us. And don't read a lot of Bible. Just kind of share and, and tell us what you think. Look, the Bible says that Ezra, verse 4, the scribes stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. They made the pulpit for the purpose of reading and teaching God's Word. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Anaiah and Urijah and Hilkiah and Maaseah on on his right hand and on his left hand, Pediah and Mishael and Malchiah and Hashum and Hashbadena and Zechariah and Meshulam. Those are all good names for your kids. You have your expecting. You got to look through those. Look at verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And he was above all the people. He's on a platform. You say, see, so you guys thought we had a platform because I'm short. No, we do it because of Ezra, all right? He was above the people. Notice, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Also, uh, I'm sorry, did I skip a verse there? Look at verse, yeah, I'm sorry, skip down to verse number 18. I just want you to notice this. Verse 18. Also, day by day, from the first day unto the last, notice, he read in the book of the law of God. So I want you to notice, when we're looking at this pattern of Scripture, not only do we see that all the people united together as one man, but when they got together, they took time to read the Bible. They built a platform, they built a pulpit, they got the Word of God, and they read the Bible together. Now listen, in church, it's not enough to just read the Bible. You ought to be reading the Bible every day, and I'm not going to preach on that. We've preached on that before. But notice, one of the things we do is we read the Bible. There's another thing that we do. Look at verse 6, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 6. Notice what the Bible says. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7, And Jeshua, and Bani, and Sherebiah, and Jamin, and Akub, and Shebathiah, and Hodijah, and Meseiah, and Kelita, and Azariah, and Josabat, and Hanan, and Peliah, and the Levites. Now notice what they did. Not only did they read, because here's what we do. You say, what do you do at Verity Baptist Church? Because I notice you don't have lights, and you don't have, you know, the smoke coming up, and you don't have the big screens, and you don't have all these things at these other churches. What do you do? Here's what we do. Notice what it says. Look at the last part of verse number 7. Cause the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. You say, what, what is your agenda at Verity Baptist Church? Here's our agenda. We get together. We sing praises to God together. Then we read the Bible. Then we cause the people to understand the Bible. We teach the Bible at Verity Baptist Church. And I am amazed how many people will talk to me. I mean, I'm talking about over the last five years, I've literally had hundreds of people after the service say to me, man, I go to this church or I go to that church and they just don't teach the Bible. I mean, they've got a whole lot of dramas, and they've got a whole lot of music, and they've got a whole lot of rock concerts, and they've got a whole lot of videos, they've got a whole lot of a lot of things, except they're not teaching and preaching the Word of God. And here the Bible says that they stood and caused the people to understand the law. Look at verse 8. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. That means distinguishable. It was clear. See, I read about the church, the sermons aren't that complicated, because we, want, we just want to make it plain. We want to make it clear. We want it to be distinct. We're going to, we're going to put it on the bottom shelf. We're going to be so clear that even a theologian can grasp it. You know what I mean? I mean, we're going to make sure when you leave, you're not going to, you, you, we don't want you to leave this morning and, and, and be asking yourself, I wonder what he meant. I wonder what he was trying to say. 
Now, we want it to be clear. I know exactly what the Bible says. I've learned the Word of God. I've ca- they've caused it to be understood. They read the book of the law of God distinctly, verse 8. Notice what it says. And gave the sense. They were, it made sense to them. They were able to perceive it and cause them to understand the reading. So what do you do at Verity Baptist Church? What are we supposed to do as a, as, a, as a church that's trying to pattern itself after the Word of God? Here's what we do. We take the Bible. We read it. Then we explain it. We teach it to you. We cause you to understand it. We cause it to make sense. Look at verse 9. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that, notice, taught the people. Sometimes people ask me, are you a teaching pastor or are you a preaching pastor? I don't know what that means. You know, we're supposed to preach the word, number one. So if you're a teaching pastor, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Because you're supposed to be preaching. But listen to me. You're not preaching if you're not teaching. I mean, good preaching, people say, are you a teaching pastor or a preaching pastor? I'm both. We teach you the Bible. We preach you the Bible. We give you the sense. We explain it. We help you understand the Word of God. That's what we're trying to do. That's what our goal is. Look what he said. Verse 9, Nehemiah, which is Toshatha, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, the Levites, that taught the people, said unto all people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of of the law. Now, I want you to notice verse 10. Because, see, it's not enough to read the Bible. And it's not enough to teach the Bible. Because people like, people actually don't mind when you read the Bible, as long as you teach them. And people really like to be taught the Bible. I mean, I think you're here this morning because you love the Word of God and you want to learn the Bible. But I'll tell you when the sermon goes south. I'll tell you exactly when I know I lose people when I'm preaching. It's not during the reading part of the sermon. And it's not even during the uh, teaching part of the sermon. When we're just observing the scripture, people like that. When we are interpreting the scripture and we're teaching you, here's what this word means and here's what that word means and here's why they did this and here's why they did that. People love that. You know when we lose people? When we begin to apply the word of God. And when we say, here's what it means, And here's what you ought to do with it. Here's how it should change your life. Here's where it applies. People don't like that. Look at verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. Then he said unto them, go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. Send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. Now, that might not make sense to you, but you got to understand. What they're reading here is they're learning about the fact that God had commanded them to have certain uh, feast days and to have certain holidays or holy days that they were supposed to be keeping. And they were realizing that they were not keeping those days. So after they read the Bible and after they explain it and give the sense and teach it, then they are encouraged to go do what they just read about that they were supposed to do. Notice what he says, last part of verse 10. For this day is holy unto the Lord our God. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, we just realized that today is a holy day. Today is a holiday. Today we're supposed to be doing certain things, and we haven't been doing those things, but we learned about it in the Word of God. Now I want you to go and do it. Notice what he says. Don't be sad. Don't be upset. 
For this day is holy unto the Lord our God. Neither ye be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. Because people were saying, Oh no, what are we going to do? I didn't know that we were supposed to be doing this, and I didn't know that we were supposed to be doing that. And he's saying, Hey, don't worry about it. Today's a good day. Just go do what you've learned. Notice verse 12. And all the people went their way. And here's what I like about this chapter. That you got the men of God doing what they're supposed to do, reading the Bible, teaching the Bible, applying the Bible. But then you've got people who, when they're told, here's what you're supposed to do, they go and do it. Look at verse 12. And all the people went their way. What'd they do? To eat. See, they, see some, some of you get so upset about things and you say, well, Pastor, you preach about this and you preach about that. Every time I come here, I feel guilty and I feel upset and I feel, you know, you ought not feel guilty. Just go do what you heard the Bible told you to do. It would help your guilt. You just got right with God. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send forth. And by the way, the only reason you feel guilty is because you're doing something wrong. Quit doing something wrong. You won't feel guilty. And to make great myrrh. Because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Look, look at verse 13. And on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests, the Levites, and Ezra, unto the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. Notice, notice verse number 14. Let me fix my notes here. Look at verse 14. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths, in the feast of the seventh month. Now, I'm not going to take time to develop this. You can study this out on your own. But here's what it's talking about, okay? In, in, the, in, in the books of Moses, God had commanded the people that they were supposed to keep certain feasts. And the feast that is being referred to here is what's known as the Feast of Tabernacle, or sometimes it's called the Feast of Booths. And here's what, it, what they were supposed to do. Every once a year, they were supposed to have a feast where they basically, the entire nation, went out camping. They had homes and they had structured places where they lived. But they would take a week and they would go build a tent. Now, they didn't go camping like out in the wilderness. They'd do it there in their city. But in their backyard or in their front yard or on the street or in the temple or on the porches, they would build these tents and they would be in that tent. And, and it's what the Bible refers to as a booth. You know, it's, it's, it's a tabernacle. It's a, a dwelling place uh, that, that, that is, you know, something you, you put together, made out of cloth or something like that. And you say, well, why would they do that? They were supposed to do that once a year to remember back when they used to live in tents only when they wandered in the wilderness. Because if you remember when they were wandering in the wilderness, they weren't able to have property and land and houses. They lived in tents and they were nomadic. They would travel. They would put the tent down. They put the tent back up. They put the tent down. They put the tent back up. And also with the tabernacle of God, it was a tent that they put down and they would reassemble back up. And when Joshua brought them into the Canaan land, now they were able to own property. They were able to build houses and have structure. And eventually they built a temple so that the tabernacle of God was no longer a tent. But once a year they were supposed to go back to those booths and go back to those tents to remember where God brought them out of. To, to cause them to not get filled with pride. To remember where, where, where we came from. And it's always good to remember where God brought you from. Look at verse 15. And that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saving, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make boots. Notice they're grabbing sticks to make these tents, these boots, as it is written. So the people went forth. 
They did what they were supposed to do and brought them and made them boots, every one upon the roof of his house, upon their courts and in their courts of the house of God and in the streets of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim and all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made boots and sat under the boots for since the days of Jeshua or Joshua, the son of Nun, unto the day had they, the children of Israel done so, I'm sorry, had the, not the children of Israel done so and there was a very great gladness. So here's what I want you to understand, okay? They read the Bible. They explained the Bible. They applied the Bible. That's what the men of God did. And then here's how the people responded. They did what they were told to do. They said, you're supposed to go build booths. And they said, okay, let's go. And they went out and they did it. And notice, they did this. This became a pattern for them. Look at verse 18. Also, by day by day, from the first day unto the last, he read in the book of the law. So they kept reading. They said, well, let's learn more. Now, you know, they, they went to the Sunday morning service. They said, I want to go back to the Sunday night service. I want to go to the Wednesday night service. I want to learn more. Let's learn more. They read in the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the matter. Look at chapter 9 and verse 1. Now, in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. Now they're learning about all sorts of things they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be fasting. They're supposed to get sackcloth. They're supposed to get ashes. They're getting right with God. Look at verse 2. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all the strangers. They learned about separation. They learned that God doesn't want them intermingling with certain people and God doesn't want them hanging out with certain people and that they were a peculiar people and a holy people and they were supposed to be separated. They learned about it. Notice when they read the Bible and when it was taught to them and when it was applied. So they separated themselves, Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 2 from all the strangers and stood and notice, confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers and they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law the Lord their God, one fourth part of the day, and another fourth part they confess and worship the Lord their God. These people are getting right with God. They're learning about all these sins in their life. They spent a fourth part of the day. Could you imagine that? They spent six hours reading the Bible, six hours confessing their sins. That's a lot of sins. <laughs> and they're getting right with God. And why? Why is it happening? Not just because they went to church, not just because they read the Bible. Not just because somebody stood up and said, hey, let me explain to you what Nehemiah chapter 8 is about. See, there's these booths, and there's these tabernacles, and there's this feast, and they're supposed to do these things. Let me explain it to you. But because they read, they learned, it was applied, and then the people got up and did what they were told to do. See, and this is what it's all about. Say, Pastor Jimenez, why do you get up here three times a week and preach the Bible? We preach the Bible to get you to change. We preach for change. We preach for repentance. We preach. See, here, here's the thing. If you've been coming to Verity Baptist Church for five years or four years or three years or two years or one year or three months and you've been coming and you've been coming every week or you've been coming on a regular basis but nothing has changed in your life, you're still in the same mess that you used to be in, you're not doing it right. Because there's no point of going to church. There's no point of checking off some mental checklist and saying, I was there on Sunday morning, or I was there on Sunday night, or I was there on Wednesday night. I read the Bible. That was a good sermon, Pastor. I learned the law. But you haven't done anything with what you've learned. There's no point. See, the point is for you to then go home and do. Let me show it to you. Go to Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29. We'll look at some passages real quickly. Deuteronomy 29. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29. Look at verse number 29. Deuteronomy 29, look at verse 29. We'll do it quickly. This is a common theme in my preaching, so for some of you this will be, it'll sound like a rewind, but that's okay because um, it's always good to be reminded. Deuteronomy 29, look at verse 29. 
Notice what the Bible says. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us. Now, why does God reveal things to us from the Bible? Here's why. Those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. Why? That we may do all the words of this law. See, it's not enough to learn the Bible. It's not enough to to understand it. It's not enough to have it preached to you if you don't get up and then do something with what you've been taught. Go to Joshua chapter number 1. You're there in Deuteronomy. Just one uh, one book over to Joshua chapter 1. Look at verse number 8. Joshua chapter 1. Look at verse 8. Joshua 1.8. The Bible says this. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Why? That thou mayest observe, notice the words, to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You say, well, that's just the Old Testament. Okay, well, let's look at the New Testament. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. You have that great sermon on the mount by the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And a lot of great teaching, a lot of great understanding. But notice, the Lord Jesus Christ ends his sermon with an illustration about application. And I'm not going to sit there and go through the whole thing because you could preach a whole sermon out of just his conclusion. But notice what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 26. He's talking about the, the foolish man and the wise man who built his house upon the rock versus the foolish who built his house upon the sand. But notice what, what the application of that story is. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, he says, you came to church, Jesus would say. You came to the sermon. You heard my sermon. You heard the Son of God, God in the flesh, preach the Word of God and apply it. Wouldn't that be great? I'm looking forward one day going to heaven and hearing Jesus preach the word. And that's what he did. And he said, you people have been here and you've heard me preach. Notice what he says. Every one of you that heareth these sayings of mine. He says, here's the problem. And doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. He said, he said here's the problem. If you, if you come, even if you come and hear the Lord Jesus Christ preach himself, and you don't do what you were taught. He says you're a fool. He says you're like a man that's building his house on the sand. There's no point. As soon as the first storm comes, it's going to fall apart. And some of you are sitting there wondering, why are my finances falling apart? And why is my marriage falling apart? And why am I, my relationship with my children falling apart? And why is all these problems in my life? And part of it is not that you're not in church. Part of it is not that you haven't taught the Bible. Part of it is not that you haven't been preached the Bible. Part of it is that you just haven't done what you've been taught to do. And he says, you need to do it. Go to James, James chapter number one. Did you keep your place in Philippians? Remember you're in Philippians? If you go back to Philippians and just keep going towards the end, you got Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, uh, Hebrews, James. Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. Look at James chapter number one. Again, these are common verses. We've seen them before, but let's look at them together. James chapter number 1, verse 22. Be ye doers, be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. Now, what, do you, what happens if you only hear the word but don't do the word? Here's what you're doing. You're deceiving your own selves. You're not fooling anyone. People say, I've been coming to church for so long. Why is my marriage not getting better? Because you're still a jerk. Because <laughs> you're still selfish. Because you're still not loving your wife like Christ loved the church or your wife's not submitting. Because you think, it's not enough to go to church. You've got to do what you've been taught. Otherwise, you're just deceiving your own selves. Look at verse 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer only, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. 
For be bold of himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, and continueth therein, he not being a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. And that's what it means to be a doer of the word, is that you do the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Now let's go ahead and transition into the part of the sermon that people don't like. How do we apply this? I want to give you some examples, okay? Because it's not enough. See, I could just pray right now, and, and, and I could stand back there, and you guys would say, oh, that was a good sermon, and that was good. I like that. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's turn into a bad sermon. Go to Isaiah 47. Let me just give you some things. Because it's not enough to just teach you this. I want, I want to give you examples. Let me give you some examples of what we're talking about. Because people come to church, and they get the Bible taught to them. We read the verse, we explain the verse, we make the application, but then you've got to make a decision, and you've got to make a choice, and you've got to decide, what am I going to do with the Word of God? And by the way, that's the question for this morning. How do you respond to the Word of God? How do you respond to the Word of God? When the Bible is preached, when the text is explained, when you get the sense and you understand it, and it's applied to your life, what do you do with the Word of God? And then Isaiah 47, I want to give you some examples. Isaiah 47, I try to pick out some real easy examples to understand. But let, let, let me give you an example. Isaiah 47, verse 2, we find a truth. Okay, let me show it to you. Isaiah 47, verse 2. The Bible says this. Take the millstone and grind meal. Uncover thy lock. Make bare the leg. Uncover the thigh. Now notice, he talks about the fact that, you, that, that this person, this lady, this woman, is uncovering her thigh or exposing her thigh. Pass over the rivers. Look at verse 3. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Okay, so I want you to notice this. The Bible serves as its own dictionary. The Bible defines itself. So when the Bible talks about nakedness, we can't consider what does the world consider nakedness. Because here's the problem with our world. It's crazy, okay? The world's, you know, uh, standards of morality are worthless, So when you're trying to figure out, okay, what does the Bible talk about certain subjects? In this example, nakedness. Well, we allow the Bible to define itself. So when God says in verse 2, uncover the thigh, and then in verse 3 he says, thy nakedness shall be uncovered, here's what he's telling us. When someone exposes their thigh, they are exposing their nakedness. So according to God, what is your nakedness? And it's not only there's other parts of your body that are nakedness, obviously, but I just want to give you this example. According to God, what is your nakedness? Your thigh. And is that not what it says? Some of you are saying, well, that's not very clear. Okay, let me give you another passage. Go to Exodus 28. Look at verse 42. Genesis, Exodus. Exodus 28, verse 42. Exodus 28, verse 42. By the way, the, the reason that, you know, we're, I'm never going to be Joel Osteen is not because of the reading and it's not because of the explaining. It's because of the application. Because people don't like the Word of God applied to them. But here's a question that I have for you. When the Bible is applied to your life, do you buck at it? Do you get mad at it? Do you get upset? You say, I can't believe he would say that. How do you respond to the Word of God? Exodus 28, look at verse 42. Notice what the Bible says. Exodus 28, 42. And thou shalt make them linen breeches. Not just women. Now he's talking to men. He's talking to the priest. He says, thou shalt make them linen breeches. The word breeches means breeches. Talking about pants. He says, thou shalt make them linen breeches, notice, to cover their nakedness. Well, what do you mean by that, God? What do you mean by nakedness? From the loins even unto the what? Thigh. Now, the loins is referring to your private area. So here's what God just told us. From your waist to your, to your knee, 
God considers that nakedness. Your thigh is nakedness. Notice, let's read it again, because I want you to notice. It's a clear passage. And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness from the loins even unto the thigh. They shall reach. Okay, so let's, let me give an example of what I'm talking about. We just read the Bible. Let me explain to you. The Bible teaches this, that your thigh is your nakedness. Now, nobody disagrees with that, but now let's apply it. Here's what that means, ladies. When you expose your thigh with a miniskirt, when you expose your thigh with short shorts, when you expose your thigh with a bathing suit out at the pool or out at the lake or out at the beach, you are uncovering your nakedness. Now, here's what some of you ladies need to figure out right now. Am I going to go home and get rid of my short skirts, get rid of my short pants, grab all the skirts that have slits that come all the way up here and expose? Well, it's a long skirt. It doesn't count if it comes all the way up here with a slit. I mean, seriously? It's like, it's long. Okay, okay, I don't know where that makes sense to any of you. And what am I going to do? And by the way, it also, exposing your thigh, it doesn't say exposing your thigh only while you're standing. Some of you ladies are like, well, I've got this skirt, and it's not covering, it's covering my thighs till you sit down and whoop. <laughs> you say, well, I don't like that kind of preaching. How do you respond to the Word of God? Well, I don't think you should be saying No, how do you respond to the Word of God? See, what you do with that truth will show if you're a fool or if you're wise. Because the Bible says exposing your... Some of you men, you know, you grew up in the 70s, you got to go home and get rid of those short shorts. Those little running shorts, those little jogging shorts you got, you're exposing your thigh, get rid of those things. Why? Because it's nakedness. Now here's the question. What do you do with the word of God? You say, I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to stand here. I'm not going to let you preach. Hey, how do you respond to the word of God? What do you do with the Bible when it is preached? Let me give you another example. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's just go ahead and cover all the... Things nobody likes. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 22. Ephesians 5.22. Ephesians 5.22. I kind of alluded to this one already, so I feel like I should cover it so that we can go ahead and teach it. Ephesians 5.22. Notice what the Bible says. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Do you know that the word of God is still true? You know that the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for, for reproof, for uh, correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Even today, people say, oh, this stuff doesn't apply today. It still applies today. It's still the word of God. Notice what it says. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, the Bible says that you ought to submit to your husband in everything. Now, guys, you keep reading. The Bible says that you ought to love your wife the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And, and if that doesn't make any sense to you, here's what makes sense to you. You ought to love your wife the same way you love yourself. But the Bible teaches that in marriage, there's an authority structure. The man is the head of the wife, and the wife ought to submit to the husband. And you preach that, and you teach that, and you read it, and it's clear, and you apply it, and you make sense. And people still say, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to. And by the way, these marriages that are 50-50, they're never 50-50. It just means the wife's in control. It just means the wife's in charge. I don't think you should say that. Okay, here's the question I have for you. What are you going to do with the Word of God? What are you going to do with the Word of God? How do you respond to the Word of God? When it's taught, when it's explained. Let's, go, let's give you another example. Go to Romans chapter number 7. Romans chapter 7. I'm just going to hit all the... See, you said, Pastor, why are you doing it? Here, here's what I'm doing it. Because for the next several weeks, I'm going to be preaching on finances. There are going to be all these nice sermons about helping you with your family and all these things. So I just got to get it out of my system. You know what I mean? I just got to... Because the next few weeks are going to be nice. <laughs> Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 1. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. This is like therapy for me. Romans chapter 7, look at verse 1. Romans 7, 1. 
Notice what the Bible says. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. How the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman, and notice what the Bible says, for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. Now, is that pretty clear or not? The woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, notice what it said, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. Now, is that pretty clear? The Bible says if you get married and then you divorce that person and you marry someone else while that person is still alive, you are committing adultery. Because guess what God does not acknowledge? Your little divorce certificate. I don't think you should say that because Charles Stanley said, I don't care what Charles Stanley said, the Bible says, the Word of God says that you are married till death do us part. I don't think you should, listen, how do you respond to the Word of God when the Bible is preached? Now listen, if you're here this morning and you're divorced, I'm not picking on you. You, you, That's something you did in the past. Paul said this, he said, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before, just don't do it again. Don't leave the one you're with, all right? But for those of you that are married and you've never been divorced, say, I'm having marriage problems. Don't get a divorce! Because the Bible says that you are in adultery if you put away your wife and you marry another or vice versa. It is adultery. Now, we read it. We explained it. And and, and every week of my life, it seems like, someone wants to call me and say, but I'm the exception. I'm sorry. I missed missed your name in Romans chapter 7. Here's a question I have for you. How do you respond to the Word of God? Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. This, this week I was going to be doing a lot of driving. And I, I knew I was going to be driving around for a little bit. So I meant to grab my memory verses, do my daily memory verse review that I do every day. And I forgot it. So I was driving around. I said, like, man, I forgot my verses. And, you know, so I thought, you know, I'm going to listen to the, I'm gonna listen to the radio. And I'm going to, because I, I never listen to the news. I, like, never know what's going on. I thought, I'm going to get caught up on the news, you know. So I turned the radio on. I'm talking about the election. And they're like, you know, Bush and Clinton. I'm thinking to myself, wow, I missed nothing. You know, I mean, it was Bush and Clinton like 10 years ago, you know. It's like, I guess I haven't missed out on much, you know. But I'm listening to these conservative talk radio, right? And I never listen to these guys. I was just doing it just because I was bored. And these guys are talking about this, you know, this woman that got in prison for not you know, giving marriage certificates or whatever. I mean, she shouldn't even be working there. But, you know, they're talking about this lady, and here you got these conservative so-called, you know, Republicans or whatever, and they're talking about the fact that, like, you know, as, you know, Christian people should be more understanding, and, and they're mocking. They're saying, I've even heard of Christians say that they wouldn't go to uh, the marriage of their, of their children if their children came out of sodomites. And they're, like, mocking at that. I thought, I'm so sick and tired of this. But I thought, you know what? I wonder, and, this is, and I, I honestly feel like the Holy Spirit of God came upon me at this time. Because I thought to myself, I wonder what the Christian talk people are saying. So I do a little search, and I find the Christian you know, radio station in Sacramento. And they're interviewing this pastor. They're having this, like, Ask Pastor Lance. There's this guy named Lance from, like, Rockland Bridge, Bridgeway or something like that. And they asked him this question. It was, I mean, I honestly felt like it was just like the Holy Spirit came upon me at this time. Because here's a question they asked him. Should a Christian go to a sodomite's marriage 
if they're invited by like their sodomite co-worker or their sodomite neighbor. And here's what he said. He said, well, to avoid us looking like religious zealots, I think you should go. I think to myself, this is a so-called preacher? I mean, it's one thing. I was, I was kind of surprised when I heard the conservative Republicans say, but when I hear a so-called man of God... Now, now here's the question that I have, okay? Are you there in Romans chapter 1? Because I, I, I don't know. I mean, is this clear? Romans chapter 1, look at what it says. Verse 26. I'm not going to take the time to do it all, but just look what it says. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile. The word vile means repulsive, disgusting, vile affection. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. That's what the Bible calls sodomy. It's against nature. It's unnatural. Verse 27. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was me. You can write AIDS right there. Look at verse 32, okay? Notice what it said. Now, was that pretty clear that's talking about sodomy? How about men being with men and women being with men? Notice how he ends the chapter, verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things, what things? The things we just read about. That they which commit such things are worthy of death. Do you think the Apostle Paul would have showed up to a sodomite wedding when he just said they deserve to die? They deserve to get the death penalty? And I'm not saying that we should give him the death penalty, but he's saying that a righteous government would put people to death. And people get so mad when we say that. Listen to me. I'm telling you, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, you know, my children or my grandchildren, my son are going to stand up and be preaching, we ought to put these pedophiles to death. And there's going to be liberals sitting there saying, I can't believe you'd say that. Don't you know they were born that way? You say, I can't, you're preaching. Here's a question I have for you. What do you do with the Word of God? I mean, is that not what the Bible says? I want to ask, you know, Mr. Lance, I'm not even going to, you know, call him a pastor. You know, I want to ask this Lance guy, you know, stinking liberal Lance, is that not clear in the Word? And here's the problem that we have in America today. When the men of God, the so-called pastors, can't stand up and say, it's sin, it's filthy, it's wrong. They say, oh, no, go to it, so they won't think we're religious zealots. That's what's wrong with America. Lance is what's wrong with America. Bridge Way, or whatever their church name is called, is what's wrong with America. You say, I can't believe you'd name the name. Let me read some verses for you, okay? 1 Timothy 1.19. Hold in faith and good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Notice what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.20. Of whom Hymenaeus and Alexander, those are names, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Notice, the Apostle Paul named names. Look at verse 17. Uh, or, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 2.17. And the word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Notice, he's calling out false preachers. 2 Timothy 4.14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. 3 John 1.9. John wrote this. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, that's a man, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Guess what? In the Bible, the preachers called the name. So guess what? I will call out Joel Osteen. I will call out Lance Han or whatever his name is. I will call them out because they're false prophets. And they're what's wrong with America. And, they, and, and people say, I can't believe you preach this. Here's why. Because you don't really care what the Bible says. You just want to go to church and have your little drama and have your little song service and have your little, you know, lights and have your little mystifiers go off. And I feel good because the pastor told me that I don't have to do anything. But the question I got for you is this. What do you do with the Word of God? How do you respond to the Word of God? Because, see, some of you need to just get this. I've been brainwashed. And I have to align myself.
to the Bible. Here's what Paul called it. Having been transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the question I have for you is this. How do you respond to the word of God? We can go down the line. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I can preach about sowing until I'm blue in the face. And some of you will never go. And here's why. Because you just don't really care what the Bible says. Because it doesn't really matter to you. I just want to go to church and feel like I went to church. So the question I have for you is this. How do you respond to the word of God? Go to Ezekiel 33. We'll finish up right here. Ezekiel 33. You guys aren't coming back anyway, but that's fine. There'll be more hot dogs next week for me. Ezekiel 33. Look at verse 30. Ezekiel 33, verse 30. See, why do you preach sermons like this every time and time? Just to kind of purge out the liberals, you know. Just because we're not really that interested in people that aren't interested in the Word of God. Just because we have a high standard here and we want to preach the Bible. Look, we read very clear scriptures, I think. I mean, I don't think they were that confusing. Ezekiel 33, look at verse 30. This is the average church in America. Ezekiel 33, verse 30. Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. And speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. They're talking about the fact that people are talking about Ezekiel's preaching. When he's done preaching, they're they're going home and they're talking about Ezekiel. Can you believe he said that? Can you believe he did that? And look at that. Look. And they're even telling people, like, you got to come hear this guy. This guy's crazy. I mean, come hear the word that cometh from the Lord. Look at verse 31. And they came unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear, notice, they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouths they show much love. Lance, I love God. No, you don't. You don't love God if you don't love the word of God. But their heart goeth after their covetousness. So you know what Lance is interested? You know what Bridgeway Church is interested in? They're interested in getting people's money, so they're not going to preach the truth. He's not going after God. He's going after covetousness. Verse 32. And lo, thou, and by the way, that's Joel Osteen. That's really grand. That's every false prophet that refuses to preach the Bible. Verse 32, and lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice. He says, you're talented, Ezekiel. You're a great speaker, Ezekiel. You're really, I really enjoy listening to you preach the Bible, Ezekiel, and can play well on an instrument. But they hear thy words, but they do them not. And that's the problem. How do you respond to the word of God? Look at verse 33. And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. They shall, then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. See, I'm more interested in you knowing that at least a man of God stood up and told you the truth, whether you like it or not. And by the way, some of you ought to be thankful that someone has the guts to stand up and say the truth. And we're not really that interested in your money. And we don't really care if you say, I'm going to withhold my tithe. Go ahead. We're going to preach the Bible. So the question for you this morning as we finish up this series is this. How do you respond to the Word of God? 